On today's episode of Power of the Towel for the Next Misconduct Network, the aftermath of free agency is now at hand. The Vancouver Canucks get better? Definitely not. Did they get any worse? Maybe. Are they about the same? Maybe. We'll break that all down. We'll also go over the potential Canadian division for next NHL season. The border is still closed by the time the next NHL season starts. It's a very real possibility. And our guest this week is none other than Bailey Meadows. Should be a good one. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. He's not a person at all. He's a towel. You're a towel. But in Vancouver, mainly it's all about towel power. Are you ready? Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Power of the Towel for the Next Misconduct Network. I'm your host, Nick Bondi. And before you go any further, I say this every time, subscribe to the Next Misconduct Network right now. Go do it right now. You will get four shows. You will get this show. You will get the quickie. You will get Silky and Filthy and, of course, Sippin' on a 40. Unfortunately, you won't be getting them right now because all three of those shows are on hiatus, but we will be doing this show for at least a couple more weeks. I got a few more episodes I want to bang out here before, of course, we take a bit of an off-season break. Because I think, I think everyone, especially me at some points, needs a bit of a break. Okay, so we mentioned it off the top. This is the aftermath of free agency episode. Last episode was a bit different because I released it a couple days earlier because I had Irfan Gaffar on the podcast. If you haven't listened to that episode, go listen to it now. It may sound a bit dated, but it has a lot of great tidbits on how the Canucks got to this point with some of their free agents. I'm talking about guys like the Jacob Markstrom, OEL, Chris Tanev situations. Earth was dropping knowledge. He was he was spilling the tea, so to say, on last episode of Power of the Towel. Now, at that point when we recorded that episode, that was recorded on a Saturday when we recorded with Earth. The Tyler Toffoli Troy Stetcher situation had not been resolved yet. Look, I think Earth even said on the podcast he thought Tyler Foley was coming back. Troy Stetcher was not qualified. It looked like he was heading towards free agency, but there was still a chance they could have brought him back. Both those guys. And of course, we saw what happened. It was an absolute shit show online. Troy Stetcher, Tyler Foley, both gone for reasonable deals. And it's hard to argue that those deals are not a result of the ghost of July 1st past for Jim Benning. If you don't have guys like Jay Beagle, Louis Erickson, Brandon Sutter, Michael Furlan, even Sven Berchies and Antoine Roussels, and I know Canucks fans are tired of hearing about it, but it's the honest truth. Those guys have cost the Vancouver Canucks from re-signing Tyler Toffoli, Troy Stetcher, and even players like Chris Tanev and Jacob Markstrom. The mistakes of July 1st pass have come back to bite Jim Benning and the Vancouver Canucks. There is no other way to put it, in my opinion. This team has probably t- 
taken a step back. You lose your MVP from last season, Jacob Markstrom. You lose a top four defenseman in Chris Tanev. You lose a serviceable defenseman in Troy Stetcher. And, of course, you lose Tyler Toffoli. And I know, and I'm of this opinion myself as well, the Canucks were smart to not sign those long-term deals for Jacob Markstrom and Chris Tanev. Chris Tanev has a lot of wear and tear on his body. Jacob Markstrom, we all know the problem with giving term to goalies. It's an issue. It's going to come back to bite you more often than not. So long-term, those are smart deals to not sign. But the issue is that the salary cap hell, cap hell, has prevented the Vancouver Canucks from going out and adequately replacing all the guys they le- that left. They sort of did that with Jacob Markstrom, although I think you can argue, argue that the goaltending has taken a step back because you have a platoon system with Brain Holpe and Thatcher Demko. And I know some people online are saying you didn't need to sign Brain Holpe to you know, the 4.9 AAV or 4-point-something AAV. Look, Thatcher Demko isn't prime longer. You can't just go out and get a bargain bin backup because you know he's going to give you 65-plus quality starts for you. You need insurance on Thatcher Demko, so we have not seen what Thatcher Demko can do over a full regular season. We didn't see it last year. Of course, Jacob Markstrom was a clear number one. And three games against Vegas Golden Knights, he was doing very well. But those are just three games. And even next year, are you going to be able to judge Thatcher Demko off next season, whatever it looks like? Because it's not going to look like a regular NHL season, which we'll get to a bit later. But not being able to replace Tyler DeFoley, Troy Stetcher, that's going to leave a big hole. The strength of the Canucks in that playoff one was their top six, was their ability to roll those top two lines and get good matchups and get results. And when you lose a guy like Tyler Toffoli and don't really replace him, that's going to cause issues. We're looking at Jake Furtanen on that top line now with Elias Pettersson and JT Miller. Do we really want that? Do we really want to see Jake Vertanen on a top line after we saw what Tyler Toffoli can clearly do? And now we're back to square run one with Bo Horvat. Yes, Bo Horvat. Who's playing with him on his wing with Tanner Pearson? That's why they traded in part, I think, for JT Miller. That was the consensus. What, are you going to put Michael Furlan there? We're not sure if Michael Furlan is going to be healthy. He's going to give it a good go. But we're not sure if he can deliver what he signed here to do, Michael Furland. And Troy Stetcher, look, I think the Troy Stetcher hype is getting a bit overblown. Troy Stetcher was a very serviceable defenseman for the Vancouver Canucks. He was a good defenseman, but on a championship contender, on a team like a Tampa Bay, Las Vegas, the teams of the Vancouver Canucks should be striving to be to build towards, to be at that level. Troy Stetcher is a third-pairing defenseman. Let's not kid ourselves. He is a third-pairing defenseman. He looked good on the Vancouver Canucks, I think a lot of part because the Vancouver Canucks defense was pretty bad. Obviously, it sucks to lose Troy Setcher. I would love to keep him back. But even if you were to to lose Troy Setcher, if the Canucks weren't in cap hell, they would be able to easily replace him in free agency 
with another defenseman, but they weren't able to do that because they have a ton of bad contracts on the books. That's just the situation the Vancouver Canucks are in right now. Now, of course, maybe the biggest transaction the Vancouver Canucks made since our last episode was Nate Schmidt to the Vancouver Canucks for a third-round draft pick in 2022, and that's a big win for Jimbo. Don't get it twisted. That's a big win for Jimbo, getting a potential defenseman to play with Quinn Hughes on that top pair for just a third-round pick, not even next year's draft. But the following draft, don't get it twisted. That is a big win for Jimbo. Now, I have a theory that they traded that 2022 pick instead of a 2021 pick because I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think deep down, management thinks they will take a step back next year. That is why they didn't give up a 2021 pick, but maybe I'm overthinking it with Jim Benning and the Vancouver Canucks. Maybe they just wanted to give up the 2022 pick for whatever reason. But regardless, Nate Schmidt, five years, 5.9 million AAV. He should be a really good defenseman to the Vancouver Canucks for the next four years. Maybe that last year's a bit of a problem, but to get a good defenseman like Nate Schmidt for pennies on the dollar, that doesn't come around once in a... Ever. Ever. If ever. And of course, it came at the expense of Vegas getting another stud defenseman, Alex Petrangelo. They're going to be scary next year. But the Vancouver Canucks... And Jim Benning, they got a win with this trade. If you just looked at that trade. Now, of course, a phrase online that's been used, and we've said it on this podcast, in a vacuum. In a vacuum, that is a good trade. But it does not make up for the fact that the Canucks are still have a gaping hole in net with a somewhat unproven young goalie in Thatcher Demko and someone like Brayden Holby who don't have the best last couple of years in Washington and a hole in the top six. Nate Schmidt does not make up for that. He improves the blue line maybe a bit as now you can roll Quinn Hughes and Nate Schmidt. That's a pretty good pairing. But now you're asking a lot more of a guy like Alex Edler. You're asking a lot more of a guy like Chris, not Chris Tan, if he's gone, Tyler Myers. He's a good puck mover, but defensively, eh, I don't know. Again, in a vacuum, it's a good trade. But I still don't see how the Vancouver Canucks are improving next year. I think it's more likely to not the Vancouver Canucks take a step back. A couple other transactions that happened just today. Yes, just today, as you were recording this episode of Power of the Towel. J.C. Howerluck. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Signed with the Vancouver Canucks. Originally drafted by the Panthers in the second round, 32nd overall in the 2014 entry draft. Kind of an age heller guy the last couple of seasons. Back and forth with the Florida Panthers. And finally, Jim Benning realized you don't have to sign bottom six forwards for three-year deals with limited no-trade clauses. You can just go out and get a bargain bin guy like this. I don't know why they really like this guy. Does he play defense or something? I I I, th- I thought for the longest time when this when J.C. Howerluck, and again I hope I'm pronouncing him right. For the longest time, when I thought this guy was 
in the news as a potential fit with the Vancouver. I thought he was a defenseman. I didn't even bother to look him up. I just thought, okay, well, he's a defenseman. They're trying to get defensive depth. But, like, another forward? I don't I don't really get this move. Someone, someone please help me with this because I don't see why you need another potential bottom six guy in the forward court. There's going to be a lot of money in the press box next year, folks. It's just going to be... It's going to be disgusting at points. Adam Gaudet re-signed. One year, $950,000 AV, so under a mil. Again, if the Canucks weren't in a cap crunch, maybe you can squeeze out a couple, two, three-year deal at a reasonable AV. But a one-year deal for Adam Gaudet, this is the ultimate show-me deal. Is Adam Gaudet going to be able to be the third-line center of the Vancouver Canucks going forward? He's going to have to prove it next season. Whatever next season looks like, he's going to be able to. Pr- he has to be able to prove that he can be the third line center going forward, and not just contribute offensively, but be good defensively as well. Because that's going to be the real test: is Travis Green going to trust Adam Gaudet in defensive roles with his defensive game? If not, then I think the Canucks have to move on from Adam Gaudet, find a third line center who fits Travis Green's style. And we haven't even talked about Travis Green still hasn't been extended. You would think that Travis Green would be extended by now. But they're just waiting for Travis Green. I don't know what they're waiting for with Travis Green. Maybe money's really that tight. But anyways, we got to get to this interview. We mentioned it off the top. Our guest this week is none other than Bailey Meadows. Just a minute. Don't hang up. Yellow. You'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. All right, so we now welcome on the Power of the Towel podcast for the Next Misconduct Network. It is Bailey Meadows, Twitter personality. I guess that's how I'm going to introduce you. Bailey, how are you doing today, my man? Good, Nick. How are you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing really well. Now, I want to start off with recent events, but I am struck by how similar you look to Trevor Beggs. Like, you could be, you could be Beggsy's doppelganger right now. Now, I don't know if you've heard, if listened to recent episodes, but uh, Beggsy is going to have, actually, he just had his daughter, just had his first daughter yesterday. So we have a bit of a hole to fill at the Next Misconduct Network. Do you want to take Begsy's place in the meantime while he's raising his daughter? Look, you, you look almost exactly like him. <laughs> like, you know, obviously, you know stu- you know your hockey just like Begsy. I think I think this could work. I think this could really work. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. I Like, when I was first back uh, getting into, you know, uh, experience, experimenting into online sports writing and stuff i was i reached out to nux misconduct and i was going to be writing for them but i ended up reaching out after and basically like rescinding it because just with i basically overcommitted myself and i felt bad but i i just didn't have the time to to put to all the things i wanted to do so uh yeah no it'd be interesting to uh to go on and and, and take his spot even you know part-time or moving forward we'll see we'll see how it works but yeah, i'd be interested and it's funny you say that because i was thinking like what um you know knowing that I was going to do this interview today, I was thinking like that for a while I got you and, and, and Trevor confused on Twitter, like not even necessarily that you look the same, but just, I don't know, both from the same network and stuff, similar kind of personality. So maybe it's all, all the three of us are kind of similar. I don't know. I think that's the first time anyone's confused me and Bakesy, but uh, I like the comparison. If, if I want to be compared to someone, it's definitely Trevor Bakes. Now you wouldn't be, t- I don't think you would be taking over the network. Don't, don't get ahead of yourselves. Like the Bakesy's the eternal leader. Oh, no, of next misconduct, no, but no, you no, definitely. No, no, but I'm. I'm just saying it because you look like him. Like you. You are. Okay. You are his doppelganger. All right. Well, that's interesting. 
I've, I've never had a doppelganger, so I'm down. Okay, yeah. Well, no, Begsy, I know you're listening to this. Uh, let me know what you think of a Bailey taking over for you temporarily. Let, let me know, because I know you're going to listen to this. Okay, let's get right to it. Uh, let's, let's start with the most recent big news, I guess, is Nate Schmidt trade. Got traded to the Vancouver Canucks for a third-round pick in the 2022 draft. I think it's interesting that it's the 2022 draft and not the 2021 draft, but maybe we can get into that later, but... I guess, first off, what are your thoughts on the trade? Like, good trade, bad trade? Do you like the contract? Do you yeah. like the player? Like, what are your thoughts on the trade? I mean, this is the the phrase that has been going around Twitter, but in a vacuum, I mean, it's it's a, fantab- it's a fantastic trade for the Canucks. I mean, when you look at, you know, a, a player like Nate Schmidt, who's been on, you know, basically Vegas' number one D for since, you know, since they've been a team, and, um, you know, puts up really strong numbers, can play left side or the right side, which is huge for the Canucks. You know, he's probably going to be a Tanev replacement for this next year, but long-term could be an Edler replacement. And to only get him for a third-round pick, I mean, you mentioned 2022 draft was probably just that the Canucks didn't have many picks in this draft and probably wanted to stock up and make sure they had as many as possible for next year. But, um, yeah, I mean, you can't really argue with the value there. I mean, you can, you know, quarrel about you know whether you wanted them to bail Vegas out of their salary cap situation but one good point that was pointed out was that if the Canucks didn't do it someone someone else probably was going to so uh, for the Canucks to get in there and, and get Schmidt for a third round pick is an absolute coup after a really not very good start to the free agency I think that rebounded uh, things about as well as as Jim Benning could have yeah and just from based on reporting from various uh, insiders such as you know Thomas Drance from the Athletic and Rick Dollywall it seemed like the Canucks valued Nate Schmidt as a player and they wanted him on the team more than other teams wanted Nate Schmidt to kind of get a draft pick as well. Like we'll take Nate Schmidt and a draft pick to get this off your hands. Whereas the Canucks like, we like Nate Schmidt as the player. We'll give you a draft pick. I think that's like kind of how they got the guy. Yeah, it seems like it. And it's funny how, uh, you know, teams kind of, it's interesting how leverage just works in those situations because seemingly it seemed like, Vegas was backed into a corner, but at the same time, you look at it as, you know, Nate Schmidt's a valuable player, and really there should be a lot of teams that are in on, on a guy like that to, you know, for that price. It's surprising that there weren't more teams in on it, but um, it could have been, a you know, a number of other factors like Petrangelo wanting to be able to, you know, sign right away, and I don't know, you know, it's it's, it's tough in an offseason, especially this offseason, things are happening so quickly, but uh, it's surprising that uh, that was the best offer for Schmidt. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that it's a 2022 draft pick because that says to me that maybe the Canucks think that the 2021 season they're going to take a bit of a step back. Like then maybe they want to keep those draft picks, right? Like it's just interesting to think like it's a 2022 draft pick. And get then again, I think we all know at this point that if Jim Benning doesn't make the playoffs this year with this team, like he's gone. Like I can't see them keeping him around for another year, right? Like. I mean, what? you you would you would think, but you know, I kind of thought that after the previous, you know, when they missed what was it, the fourth year in a row or, or fourth in five years or something like that, I I didn't expect him to come back um, the summer where he signed Myers and and made all those moves. Um, la- um, I guess before this previous season, but uh, having the COVID with the saying last summer and everything is getting me all thrown off because it's not summer anymore. You and everyone, man. Uh, you and everyone. But uh, no, I think um, you know. You would think he, he probably gets gets fired if they miss the playoffs, but it it, 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 it depends. You, you never really know with Aquilini and, and outside pressure and stuff. It seems like he has backed Jim Benning a lot so far, and you know he was tweeting about the JT Miller trade and stuff, like rubbing it into the fans. So it seems like he, he has a, a, a decent amount of faith in Benning. So we'll see if a, a playoff miss, if it does happen, 
uh, leads to a firing. But I'm not I'm not 100 percent convinced that that's the case. Yeah. And where do you think Nate Schmidt would fit on the Vancouver Canucks? Like I, I slot him on that top pair with Quinn Hughes, like a, a Hughes Schmidt pairing is is really good. And then you have to kind of worry about Myers and Edler on the second pairing. But where do you see Nate Schmidt? Like you see him first pair or second pair? Who would you rather I guess can, have him with I, Quinn Hughes or Alex Edler? Yeah, I kind of agree with you. Like, I mean, I think I like the idea of having two really good puck movers there. But I, I also think, you know, throughout the course of the year, um, you know, teams inevitably like different looks. And it also depends on the team you're going against, too. Like, I think having a, a Hughes-Schmidt pairing, but also being able to run Hughes-Myers and then going with Edler-Schmidt, um, having those options to to restructure depending on, on the team you're playing against, um, you know, would be beneficial. And we've seen Travis Green be pretty intense with, you know, he really likes to get into his matchups and and uh, plan for whatever the other team is that he's playing. So um, I think, you know, if it if it was just one spot where you lock it in, I, I think I'd have to agree with you that I'd like to see him uh, playing with Quinn Hughes and logging a ton of minutes. But uh, I also like the idea of running Hughes-Myers. Um, they, I'm seeing on Twitter today, I think it was they ran something like a... Or it was on, it was an athletic article, I believe, but it was the Hughes Myers pairing was I think 58% uh, uh, Corsi when they were together. So um, obviously that's a dominant number, and um, Edler's been just solid throughout his career. So plugging him in with someone like Schmidt would would make for an incredible top four. Um, you could even argue that you put um, you know one of the rookies with Schmidt and, ba- and oh. balance all three pairings or you know put a rookie with Myers and then move one of the rookies with Hughes or something right you look at I don't know a lot, some teams uh, I think it was um, Colorado last year seemed to kind of balance out their pairings with one of their strongest defenders on each uh, on each pairing and it's um, it's something that you know Travis Green will probably experiment with and he'll run with what he likes likes best I, th- I like the idea, actually, of Hughes and Tyler Myers just for the fact that Quinn Hughes can obviously make any defense when he plays with better. Why not use it on a guy like Tyler Myers, right? Like, help, help, let's help out that contract a bit. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the only thing I, I, I say with that is that I think that Myers, a lot of his best value comes in the offensive zone, too. So, I mean, um, you know, you're working with a guy like Hughes where Hughes kind of likes to walk the line and, you know, Myers kind of has that value a little bit in his game too. So maybe it is better if you put him back with Edler and then Edler can take more of the tougher defensive responsibilities. Cause we've kind of seen Myers get uh, walked around a couple times, you know, during the season is I, I think Myers is a little bit better in the offensive zone than the defensive. So that yeah. might be something to consider. Oh, a hundred percent. Like Tyler Myers, he's like six, seven, he could be playing small forward in the NBA, but he always seems his stick always seems to be out of position for like one of the tallest players in the league. It's ridiculous defensively. Yeah, I mean, don't get me like the reach does come in handy for sure. But you, you know, you look at a guy like Char, who's just a, a behemoth to play against, right? And you don't, you don't get the same kind of um, vibe necessarily as as Prime Char. No. I mean, that's kind of an unfair comparison. But you know, like it's just a an idea of what could be. I guess same thing with uh, you know all the fanfare about Nikita Triamkin, right? When you have that size, it's such a such a interesting package, and uh, you know, it's frustrating that the the defensive reads aren't always there, but I have to say I was I was heavily against the Myers contract and still am overall, but he did bring more than I expected in his first season with the Canucks. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to get to the goalie situation with the Vancouver Canucks in general. Well, let's start with Jacob Markstrom departing the Vancouver Canucks, signed a six-year, $36 million deal with the Calgary Flames, and we had Irfan Gafar on this podcast last week, and he was spilling the tea, and he pretty much said that 
I, I asked him, like, when did the divide between Jacob Markstrom and the Vancouver Canucks start value-wise? And he said 12 to 15 months ago, which was surprising to me. It seems like it happened over the past two weeks that, that this divide happened. Because I would have said three weeks ago that Jim Benning for sure is going to resign Jacob Markstrom. He's going to do everything in his power. He's going to give up assets. He's going to clear cap space. He's got to get Jacob Markstrom resigned. He was their team MVP, right? Like, he was so good last year, and we saw what the Canucks need to be successful. It's Vezina-level goaltending. Like, they need, like, a top-five goalie in the league to play the style they want to play, and they don't have that anymore with, I don't think, with Thatcher Demko and Brain Holpe. Like, that tandem is it's going to it's gonna take some use to take some use to getting used to, I guess, and I want to get your thoughts on Jacob Markstrom. First of all, do you think they should have made more of an effort to re-sign him, as in clearing cap space, giving up assets, or are you happy that the term was someone else's problem now in Calgary? I think the Canucks made the right decision by walking from Markstrom. And, I mean, saying that, like, everything that you said is true. Like, Markstrom was fantastic the, the past two seasons, especially this last season. But, I mean, really, the past two seasons, he's been a top, I would say, a top three goalie in the league for sure. Like, top five, like, no question. Um, but, you know, there's a number of things. It's not necessarily about what he's done. It's about what he's going to do. And, you know, especially at six years, like, that's just – when you look at the cap structure of the Canucks and, you know, you got Pedersen and Hughes, you know, they're going to be signed to long-term deals. And you really just don't want to be signing deals that are going to become albatrosses to players that fall off later on. And I think Markstrom, at the end of that deal, is, I think, age 35, age I think 36 when that deal uh, comes to an end. So – you know, goalies typically don't age that well, and you also have the factor of of Markstrom kind of having you know like a, a lower body issue now, where he, he um you know he's had a couple injuries here this past season. Um, I know a lot of the time after games he's getting work done from um one of their one of their trainers a lot of the time working on uh, lower body tightness. So that's something to keep in mind as goalies get older that they're not always going to be super, you know, they're going to generally let get less durable, and. You know, I also think that um, with, the, how, with how many games Markstrom has played, and generally Markstrom plays better when he plays more games, I don't see him as a goalie that's going to age better than most. So I don't think that it's a great contract to sign for Cal- from Calgary's perspective. And I also trust uh, Ian Clark, as the Canucks goalie coach, has done just an amazing job. So I think, you know, you bring in Holtby, who's a guy that the last couple of years hasn't had great numbers on the surface. It kind of seems, you know, suspect. And, you know, you look at Flurry, um, you know, Vegas was offering a package for Flurry. Maybe why not get assets and take Flurry on? But I think you gotta get, just got to sit back and trust Ian Clark's assessment. Like, I'm sure you have to assume that he was consulted throughout this entire process. Oh, yeah. Should we sign Markstrom? Should we run with Demko? And you also have to wonder how much those last couple games uh, in the playoffs had Markstrom not got injured and Demko got that chance. If maybe Benning does make that signing for Markstrom because he feels like he has to. It's really it's interesting, you know what what could have been um, had Markstrom not gotten injured because I really don't know if they trust Demko as much if he didn't get those three games. Yeah, and you mentioned Brain Holpe, Thatcher Demko. How much faith do you have in that tandem next season? Because I don't know. I just like Thatcher Demko. Like he's a promising goalie. He fits the age of the core, which is very good if for the future of the Vancouver Canucks. But at the end of the day, he's not that proven of an NHL goalie. Like he had those three good games in the playoffs. He's had a few. He's had a few games in the NHL, but he's never had to be the guy, the starter. 
And of course, Brain Holby, we know his struggles the last couple of years in Washington. Like, how much faith do you have in that tandem? Uh, I actually have quite a bit of faith. Um, and I, I, think, I guess that's because I have a lot of faith in Thatcher Demko. I've always been a big Demko guy um, ever since he was drafted. I mean, I'm a, I'm a goaltender myself, so it's always something I've kind of, you know, I enjoy just re- reading up on goalies, especially the ones that the Canucks draft. And I just remember um, reading about Demko and kind of, the, you know, the things he was studying. He studies a lot of, I, I can't remember if it was philosophy or psychology or both that he took um, in uh, when he was in college as as among his courses and he was talking about it in an interview about just like the makeup the mental makeup you need for a goalie and I've always thought that he thinks the game the right way and he just has such a smart approach to the game um, and you know you, you mentioned he hasn't been the guy at the NHL level but he's done it um, at, the, at the AHL level he's done it at the college level and he's posted great numbers and generally he seems like he takes a little you know he's taken like a season or a little bit to adapt and then he starts getting on a roll we saw that with the ahl where he kind of struggled his first season a little bit adapting to the pro shooters and then he started getting on a roll and posting better numbers and then um now he's up in the nhl kind of same thing where he you saw him really get on find his groove in in those playoffs and even certain stretches throughout the season so i mean it's going to be you know it's certainly going to be a step back it's not going to be jacob markstrom top five goalie level um, but I do think that the Canucks will have an above-average tandem. I think that Braden Holtby can, you know, be a guy that can step in and run three or four games in a row if if Demko's struggling or something. You wanna you wanna give him a little bit of a break or something. So I think adding that little bit of a support net and doing it at just a two-year deal for Braden Holtby was a pretty smart move instead of uh, you know going six years at Markstrom and hoping that you can trade that contract later. Yeah, and I saw and I, and I saw a few people online not like the AV of Braden Holtby and the signing in general and. I think my opinion on all that is, like, this isn't prime Luongo, Thatcher Demko. Like, you need, like, kind of like that that platoon system for Demko, at least for, like, next season. Then maybe you can do something with Brain Holby. But you can't just throw Demko to the Wolves. Like, you need kind of, like, a platoon system, at least at the beginning. And if Demko gets hot and he's the guy, great. If not, then you have a bit of a, an insurance policy, right? Like, I don't agree with throwing De- Thatcher Demko right into the Jacob Markstrom role of, you know, he's the guy. Well, yeah, and you saw it like even at the beginning of Benning's tenure when you had, um, you know, a couple of young goaltenders. He brought in Ryan Miller, um, and I think that that was a good veteran presence move too. Like I think he's a guy that, you know, for for young goalies, it's good to have a guy to – I mean, young players at any position really, it's good to have those, you know, guys that have been there. And, and you know, especially a guy like Brayden Holpe who's won, won a Stanley Cup and gone, you know, gone the distance. He knows what it takes, right? I mean, that's – you know, it's kind of cliche about, you know, knows what it takes because he's won a cup. But I mean, I, spe- I think as a goaltender, too, with that mindset of going into those big games, you know, it'll it'll help Demko. He'll be able to, you know, have someone, you know, he's had Markstrom already, who I'm sure has been a good mentor for him. But now he'll he'll see from someone who's who's gone all the way and been a winner and, and get a new perspective on things. Okay, I've never done this before. I've never asked the guests this. Who do you want to talk about first, Tyler Toffoli or Troy Stetcher? Who do you, who, who do you have the biggest, who do you want to talk about first? Let's talk about Troy, because he got signed first, I believe. Yes, okay, smart move. Troy Stetcher, two-year deal with Detroit, I believe at a 1.7 million AAV. And this may be a bit of a hot take, but I think the Troy Stetcher kind of, of hysteria about him signing in Detroit is a bit overblown. Now, hear me out. Troy Stetcher is a great defenseman. He's a great story. Troy from Richmond, local guy. Love Richmond. Love my time in Richmond. But at the end of the day, Troy Stetcher is a third-pairing defenseman. Like, that's what Troy Stetcher would be on a championship-contending team. Like, 
like a Colorado, like a Las Vegas, like a Tampa Bay, like the like a team the Canucks are trying to catch. That's what Troy Stetcher would be. And of course, he's done well over the last couple seasons with the Vancouver Canucks because the Vancouver Canucks have not had a very good defense. They've had there's been plenty of opportunities for Troy to show his stuff with the Vancouver Canucks. I'm not as upset about leaving about Troy Stetcher leaving the Vancouver Canucks. I'm more upset that they weren't able to replace him, I feel, adequately. Like, they still have that hole on the bottom pairing, but they haven't been able to replace him because of some of these bad contracts. Like, if you don't have some of these bad contracts on the books, you let a guy like Troy Stetcher walk if you don't like him for whatever reason, and you can replace him for another less than $2 million AAV guy from free agency, but they weren't able to do that. So, I guess, like, what are you... What are your thoughts on Troy Stetcher? you think this is as big of a loss as people online are making it out to be? Well, let me ask you this. Would you rather have Troy Stetcher or Jake Vertanen? Oh, definitely Troy Stetcher. Like, yeah, I, th- well, I, think, I, think I, think, I think Jake Vertanen is more replaceable in the forward group. Well, and that's basically what it comes down to, is that you could have just qualified Stetcher, not qual- or even not qualified Stetcher, but if you don't qualify Vertanen, you have the money for Stetcher. In fact, Vertanen's probably going to get more than what Stetcher would have come in at. And even though, and you know, also, with the reaction to Stetcher, this was before the Schmidt trade, which did make you know that a little bit more palatable, losing Stetcher. But even even with the the Schmidt trade, um, you know, with that knowledge, you know, imagine that Edler gets in. Or like, yeah, no, imagine Edler gets injured or anyone in the top four because you can slide Schmidt over to that left side if you need to. Troy's been a guy that they know can step into that top four spot up, you know, spot duty when needed uh, to cover for injuries and, you know, perform okay, right? Like, I don't think, I agree with you. I don't think he's a top four D-man on a contending team, but I think that he's a, a strong bottom pairing guy, which would have been an asset for bringing in a guy like you, Levy or Rathbone, having that guy, you know, having him to shelter on the bottom pair. Um, or, you know, if an injury happens, well, when an injury happens, because let's be honest, there's going to be an injury oh, yeah. in the top four at some point in the year. Um, you know, he's the, he's the guy that can step up and, and be, you know, you know, take those minutes on and, and be dependable. Whereas now if someone gets injured, you're thinking, all right, are we going to put Jordy Ben or are we going to put all of you in a top four situation? I think that Stetcher is a very, you know, I think he was a very under in some, in some people's eyes, an underrated, uh, part of the team at least in management size it didn't seem like they valued him as much as i think the value he brought to the team and i mean at 1.7 for two years you really like that's such a great deal for mm. stetcher and i think even it's a great deal for the team as well oh absolutely like detroit's been signing a bunch of great deals like that that they can either keep those players or flip them later on you know for for assets which is exactly what you want to do at, when you're a team in detroit shoes so that's just steve eiserman being steve eiserman but you know, when you hear about how it happened too with with Stetcher, you know he wanted to sign uh, with the Canucks and and you know gave them gave them time, but the management team just really didn't uh, communicate well, and they were chasing Barry, is what was reported. And I personally, I would have always rather had Stetcher than Barry, considering you have Quinn Hughes on the team, and where does Barry really fit into that? And you're paying, you know, probably three or four more million for Barry albeit on a one-year deal but no I really think that that uh, losing Stetcher was a misplay even still at this point like I think if the team could look back I mean maybe they wouldn't think that but I think looking back that uh, losing Stetcher was a mistake why the hell do they qualify Jake for Tannen like what is it just as simple as this was Benning's first like first first round draft pick and he doesn't want to lose the guy like I I don't see a reason behind qualifying him 
I, I agree with you. And, it, you know, it's weird, like, with, with Benning, like, you hear him after the after the, after the the playoffs, he was, you know, basically talking about how he was kind of disappointed in how he played and, and, and stuff like that. And then now all of a sudden he's out in the media saying, no, he's going to be a 20-goal scorer every year. And so it's just kind of – it's you never – I don't know. It's kind of – Benning seems to be flip-flopping back and forth with, with what he thinks he has in Vertanen. But, no, I – I mean, even if you consider Vertanen's going to get – 2.5 to 3 mil you'd probably rather have Tyler Toffoli for a couple million more right so I don't really understand that one especially if you figure you know there are, apparently there were some teams that were interested in Bertanen so even if you can only get a third or a fourth round pick I'd, I'd do it so you don't have to sign the salary you get another asset that third round pick covers Nate Schmidt right Jake Bertanen for Nate Schmidt that's an easy win so yeah. I mean third for uh, Schmidt is still a win but you know it's 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 moves like that that uh, you know have not made this offseason perfect for the Canucks, but you know, if Jim Benning, if Jim Benning wants to get the message to Jake Rutan that he needs to step his game up, he's got to tell a, like a waitress at Cactus Club to, to slip the message to Jake. Like he's not gonna listen to his radio hit. Like that's the way to get get the Jake slipping in like some of those truffle fries at at, at Cactus Club. Yeah, no, I. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I agree. I I I don't know. I I I mean, I've been saying about about Jake to just some of my friends that like. I think that he can figure it out, but I don't know if it's ever going to be in Vancouver with all the distractions and the, you know, the friends he's grown up with here. Like, I just feel like he'd have a much better chance of putting things all together if he was traded to some small town team where he doesn't know anybody and he has really nothing else to do but to work hard and, and you know, and get better at the game. Because mm-hmm. he's got so many, uh, um, you know, tangibles about it that make him such an intriguing player, right, with the size and the the shot and the speed there's so few players that have that combination and it's just frustrating that he can't seem to you know put it all together and become that top six player that people know that he can be yeah he's the most discussed third liner in vancouver canucks history now i want to get to tyler to he's the guy on monday when it was reported he was signed with montreal on a four times 4.25 million dollar deal that that was the, that's the deal that kind of blew up that's the kind of deal that set everyone off and rightfully so like to me this is the ultimate deal that, you know, it, the, the mistakes of July 1st past have come back to bite the Vancouver Canucks in the snare because if you don't have some of these contracts on the books, you, you, you sign that deal 11 times out of 10. Like, you look so good with JT Miller and Elias Pettersson in the playoffs on that first line. That was the strength of the Canucks in the playoffs was their top six, like being able to roll out that top six and at least, you know, get something done and let the bottom six kind of sit there and get cratered. Yeah, well, and it would have been nice to see what that team could have done in a full season because we really didn't see much of Toffoli with Besser, Bolt, like yeah, he played ten games in the lineup at all. Well, and I think Besser was out for yeah. all of those games except for one. So we really didn't see, and and in the playoffs, Toffoli wasn't really healthy. So we really haven't seen that top six, and I guess we never will with with Toffoli in there now. But yeah, you know, it's an, it's another missed opportunity. Like you said, that was their that was their strength, right? They had a great top six and they had great goaltending, and everything else wasn't good. But when you have two really strong strengths like that, especially when one of them's goaltending, um, you can make up for a lot of of problems in other areas. So, yeah, no, bringing Toffoli, and then you have the opportunity cost of now you've you've spent Tyler Madden in a second, which could have been assets that help you either move cap space or or whatever, right? So. You know, the Toffoli trade I see as a trade that Benning made to guarantee that he made playoffs because he probably wasn't going to get another year if he didn't make playoffs. That's why I think he signed Tyler Myers, and that's why I think he made the trade for Tyler Toffoli. He wasn't thinking beyond this season. He was thinking, I need to save my job and make the playoffs. That's just my opinion. Okay, that's that's an interesting strategy, and I can see it 
because obviously that Tyler Toffoli was kind of a true contending move. And the Canucks at the time, like they, this is, seems like a different world ago, but they were kind of slipping. Like they had that, I just remember that game in Columbus, that felt like the ultimate wheels were falling off game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, in they really, you know, I think that had COVID not happened with the stoppage and everything, you know, you consider Markstrom is injured, Besser was injured, um, you know, when when there was that stoppage, the Canucks, you know, it seemed like their roster was kind of grinding down. You even saw after, you know, play picked back up, Quinn Hughes talked about how beneficial the break was for him, that he felt so much more refreshed. So Quinn Hughes felt like he was, you know, not playing as well down the stretch. So you think, you know, another 10 games or whatever they had to go, how much more does that take a toll on him? And how much does that all affect the team? When does Markstrom come back? There's no guarantee they even make the playoffs, let alone get to the, you know, the one game away from the Western conference finals. So for how, you know, the playoff run was great, but I think that people are, are thinking that the team's a little bit better than they are. You know, this really was a team that was a bubble team basically. Yeah. And I think they're definitely going to take a step back next year. I think the only way they can get back to the level that they were at uh, last season with the playoff run is if the studs, you know, take another step forward. Like, the guys like Elias Patterson, Quinn Hughes, Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, JT Miller, they got to pick up the slack now. Like, if they improve more, even more, they can maybe fill that hole that the Canucks have left this offseason. Yeah. Well, and it's a huge ask because they're already your best players. Yeah. Like, you you have to, you're asking your best players, essentially, to be even better. Like, I don't know about you, but, like, when I look at Quinn Hughes, I don't look at him and say, how can this guy get better? You know, like, he's already, like, revolutionizing yeah. defense. Like, I have a hard time picturing how – I mean, obviously, you know, you, you can improve your shot and this and that. But outside of little things, I don't know how much better Quinn Hughes can be. He's already a number one defenseman, one of the best in the league, in my opinion. So – and, you know, Pedersen, you know, I think – maybe a little bit more room in Pedersen's game because I see him as someone who's a bit more raw and he just uses his IQ a lot. You know, he can get stronger. And I think I think Prime Pedersen um, will be at a higher level than maybe Prime Hughes compared to, you know, where they started from. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting when you have your two best players making less than $2 million combined and you're questioning whether you're even going to make the playoffs. Like, that's, you know, it's been said, like, it's, it's not a good situation and anyone that that thinks that this was by design or that you know that this is a good thing is you know out, kind of out to lunch like it's really you should not be up against the cap and wondering if you're going to make the playoffs when your two best players make that you know such little money yeah we we all know the Canucks are in cap hell and if you're trying to deny the cap hell narrative at this point i think you have some other motives behind that okay oel oliver ekman larson Almost traded to the Vancouver Canucks. Now, we had Irfan Gaffar on this podcast last week, and he pretty much said, like, OEL trying to get traded was a purely financial decision from the Arizona Coyotes. Like, he obviously has that big ticket, and the Coyotes with COVID-19 and, you know, revenue pressure and a flat cap, the new owners, essentially, and this is me piecing it together from what Irf said, they pretty much said, hey, can we consider, you know, trading this guy? And he gave his list, and... I think Jim Benning made the right call here. Like, he played hardball. Yeah, I think he knew that the the Arizona Coyotes were a bit of a, between a rock and a hard place negotiation-wise, and he wasn't going to give up assets. Like, I think we now know why he was so hesitant to give up a guy like Thatcher Demko in these trades is because he knew Jacob Markstrom was not re-signing with them. So, you know, good move, bad move to not trade for OEL. I, I, I've said that I would have welcomed OEL on the team. Obviously, the, the big... the 
contract would have been a big issue, but he would have instantly improved this defense by a lot. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think the only way that you make an OEL trade is just if it's an absolute steal for you. Like, I mean, it would have to be an absolute coup. Like, I'm thinking something like, you know, you, you get Erickson in the deal, you get them to retain a little bit on Ekman Larson to bring him down to around $7 million, and then you just throw in some, you know, spare pieces, kind of like Vertanen, maybe a, a later pick and like yeah. Ulevi or something like that, right? Like, I would I would have been all for that, but I mean... Really, you can't blame Arizona for not wanting to do that. That because that's just it's it's a terrible look for your team. But but you know when you're in that much financial trouble, sometimes you know it's worth pursuing. And I mean, you kind of think back to the Kessler situation. Ekman Larson only gave two teams, so that narrows it down even further. I think Benning, you know, I agree, he was right to to go and and pursue that. Um, you know, but maybe he went a little bit too tunnel vision on that and didn't communicate well enough with the other uh his you know other pending ufas i don't know because it seemed like stetcher and tanev and even to didn't really have too much contact with benning so um you know right right idea in principle but i don't know if it was i don't know if it took away from his other negotiations but no i'm glad that he didn't uh i'm glad that that trade didn't end up happening and after seeing nate schmidt for a third i mean i you know I don't think anyone's wishing that they had Ekman Larson. Oh, much better deal trade-wise. And I think I've figured out what the the timeline was of this, you know, week of free agency draft from what I've talked to from Earth on the podcast last week. Still trying to plug it. It's still a great episode. And what I've read from, you know, other insiders and such, like articles from The Athletic. I think what happened was, like you said, there was a bit of a tunnel vision with OEL. They were, like, dead set on trying to get OEL. And then... When that didn't work out, they're like, oh, shit, we have to try and re-sign some of these guys who we haven't really had contact with, which is why you've heard reports of, I think, a Tanev and a Stetcher saying they never really circled back to us. Like, they never really gave us an opportunity to re-sign with the team. It was like, okay, well, we've moved on. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then when you see Stetcher sign for two years at 1.7, you're kind of wondering, like, why, why aren't we signing that, you know? So it's, it's you know, it's... I, I, I try not to, you know, fault Benning too much for this offseason because he has made some, you know, I, I like, you know, the moves that he's made, um, you know, today, the day of this recording, this podcast, which we'll probably touch on in a bit. But, um, you know, in the Schmidt trade, like, I don't think it's been a terrible offseason, but there's definitely been a lot of missed opportunities. And this team could have been a lot, you know, they could have been looking a lot better, especially going into next season, um, rather than, you know, we could be talking about taking a step forward rather than taking a step back. Um, if a few things were, were were changed. Okay, so Chris Tanev was one of those guys, I think, that negotiations were impacted from the OEL negotiations. I'm not too worried about Chris Tanev getting, leaving the Vancouver Canucks. Like, I know he has a good presence in the room, but I, like, I, I resigned to the fact a while ago that Chris Tanev was probably going to leave for free this summer. Just the time the trade Chris Tanev was three years ago. Like, it was ta- oh, yeah. three years ago when he was three years younger and three years with less injuries. And that's a big issue with Tanner. Like, this was the first year he played a full season. Like, we really going to bank on this guy to, to be healthy for 70-plus games? I don't think that's 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 his player. That's him. No doubt. And I'm glad that Tanner was able to cash in and get a yeah. decent deal for himself because he's earned it. And honestly, I feel like his last deal, he was playing on a discount for the Canucks scene based on what he brought. But it's the same kind of situation with the Markstrom thing, right? Like, thank you for what you've brought to the organization. You've done a great job. But we can't really put ourselves in the position to sign this deal with where you're at and where our team's at, right? Like, Kristana has been a warrior for this for the Canucks for so long, but 
you know, how is, a you know, especially when, you know, you're talking about a four-year deal. I mean, maybe it wouldn't have been four years for the Canucks, but even a three-year deal, right? Like, yeah. you know, even as early as next season, if Chris, if Chris Tanev, you know, gets injured again, if his game falls off, because he is on the wrong side of, of, you know, of 30, you know, you don't really want to take on those risks when, when, you know, when there are big risks like that, right? Like with, with, with aging injury prone defensemen, those are just, just risks you don't want to take. And I would much rather, you know, like you said, I was resigned to the fact that we were likely going to walk away from Tanev. Um, and I would have much, much rather signed Stetcher at 1.7 than Tanev at what he got in Calgary. So I'm happy for Tanev, but I'm happy that the Canucks didn't sign him. Okay. You mentioned two signings that are happening on the day of recording today. Uh, the first one, JC Howerl. I, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. JC Howerluck. Jace, but I'm not. I, I'm Jace. Not okay, maybe it's okay. Jace, JC. My apologies. I, I I gotta admit, I saw the rumors online about this for the last couple of days, and I just assumed he was a defenseman. I didn't even look it up. I'm like, of course, like they gotta sign like a depth defenseman. And then I looked today; he's a forward. Like I don't really get this signing. Like. We we already got enough dead weight in the bottom six. Do we need another bottom six for it? I get he's on like a, a cheap contract, but like the Jim Benning just realized they just have to sign bottom six forwards to three year deals with no trade clauses. Like where is this coming from? Yeah, well the good thing is with this deal is that it's actually a bottom six player signed to a bottom six contract for one. Yes, right? he's not getting term and multiple millions. And as Harmon Dial pointed out um, on the Athletic. Uh, you know, you can basically sign as many of these because you can bury. It's just over one million that you can bury from a contract in the minors. So you can sign as many of those guys as you want, and then just bury them in the minors. And the only thing it's costing you is real, real money, right? Which I mean, you know, isn't nothing, but to billionaire owners, it's 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 not that much. So, you know, I I, I like the signing. He's a young guy. He's someone that um, can bring an edge and you know some grit to the bottom six. I kind of wonder if if anything's happening with, with Roussel, cause I think he kind of brings a similar profile, but um, you know, Canucks maybe trying to get a, a cheaper replacement and maybe Roussel has a little bit of value, but um, you know, I think it just makes, you know, camp a little bit more competitive. He kind of, you know, he brings a bit of an edge, especially if he plays on that fourth line that, uh, that, that fourth line, you know, doesn't really have a bit more, you know, physicality and grit and, you know, he put up seven points in 11 games with Ottawa when he had, you know, a bit more of an opportunity, which obviously small sample size, but, you know, I think that he can be more than just a fourth liner potentially. And it'll be interesting to see how he, you know, what role he carves out on the Canucks. Okay. So he might, he might, there's going to be so much dead weight in the, in the press box next year from the bottom six. Like I'm just not looking forward to it. Like Louis Erickson, like Jay Beagle, 9 million, in the press box, like it's not going to be, it's not yeah. going to be pretty, but let's, let's move on to, to Adam Gaudet. He signed a one-year deal today, 950k. Like I think this is the this is the show me deal for Adam Gaudet. Like this is the year he's got to prove. Like whatever the next season looks like, he's got to prove that he can be a third-line center for this team because he obviously has the offensive capabilities, but I think defensively is where he's lacking and where Travis Green doesn't really trust him. And if he's got to be the the third center for this team going forward, he's got to have a two-way game. Like he has to have improved defensively. Like. Do you think Adam Gaudet can do that? Can he be like a third line center for this team for years to come? I really don't know. And one thing I was wondering earlier today is, you know, does Travis Green try and make the push to make him a right winger? Because the Canucks are pretty thin on the right wing um, with Toffoli leaving especially. And, you know, obviously you have Brock Besser on that, you know, one of the top two lines, whether it's on the lotto line or maybe you, you spread the wealth and put him with, with Horvat. 
but you know what about putting Godet on that right side on either of those lines right he's got a pretty good offensive punch um but like you said maybe not really getting all the defensive responsibilities that you want out of a third line center right and it's nice to have that offensive pop from your third line but when you have to shelter them the way Travis Green has uh, this last season, you know, you're, they're almost more like a, a scoring fourth line and you almost have the fourth line playing more third line minutes a lot of the time in matchups. So I, I wouldn't, you know, I'm interested to see what, what happens with Godet. He's one of the more harder to project players on the line, on the roster for me. Cause I, I don't know if he can, you know, round out his game. I mean, he took big steps from his rookie season to, to this past year. So, you know, it's, can he can he make those steps? If not, does he get a opportunity on the wing? Does he fall out of favor in the lineup and get traded? You know, it's it's a, it's an interesting future for Adam Goddard in this organization. And like you said, it's a show me deal. He's going to be an RFA after, and so yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, and I think if the Canucks had a bit more cap flexibility, I think they would have tried to sign him for like a two three year deal with a bit higher AV, lock him in. But like like a one year deal. He's twenty four. Like he's not. He's not young anymore. Like, this is the year he's got to show if he's going to be a, a, a solid third-line center for this team going forward. I got just a couple more questions for you. What moves would you want to see the Vancouver Canucks make going forward before the start of next season, whenever next season is? That's a good question. Um, there's a lot of options. I mean, you know, one thing that you kind of contemplate is whether or not you you buy out uh brandon sutter after uh when the next buyout opportunity opens um because you know that puts i think it's a just over a million of dead space onto the 2021 season when you need uh Pedersen and hughes are going to be on their new deals but it does save you a few million this season and you know if you can add like a, a travis hamannick or you know another depth defenseman to help out um, you know, I, I think where the Canucks need to be focusing right now is, is adding one more piece to that defense or, well, or clearing out cap, but that's obviously easier said than done. And if they could clear out cap, they probably would have done it by now. Um, I think, you know, I look at a guy like Travis Hamannick, who's had pretty bad defensive numbers, you know, he's been, or he's been trending the wrong direction. He's been trending towards bad, uh, defensive numbers, but if you take him out of the top four and put him on a, you know, more sheltered bottom pair, um, you know, I think there's a chance that he can give you good good value in that third pair role, especially, you know, with flat cap and and um, and I think Hamannick had generally preferred to stay in Western Canada, yeah. at least in the West. Anyways, that that might give the Canucks a leg up on the competition. Maybe you can get him at a cheap deal, either you know like a one year deal and, and see how he does. So, I think that they should just look to add one more body in the bottom si- or, bo- or bottom of their defense. And uh, and clear cap in any way possible, um, but you also don't want to be giving up assets, right? So it's hard to know what's out there on the market and what the costs are to move a contract like Berchi or or Jordy Ben. Yeah, and finally, what next season might look like is a, a potential all Canadian division. This is I'm so excited for this. You know, Bill Foley kind of leaked it out to I guess it was a podcast or a radio show or something that there's a Canadian division is very likely for next season with the whole border restrictions and everything, 14-day quarantine, a whole Canadian division makes sense, and they, they may be forced to do it. Now, I think it's this, this division is fascinating for the first reason is every team outside of Ottawa, to me, is at a very similar level. Like you have Winnipeg, Leafs, Montreal, 
Flames, Oilers, Canucks, they're all kind of at the same level. Like, I wouldn't say there's one team that's way above the rest that you can say to win the division. There's going to be like a six-team dogfight for this division. What do you think of a potential Canadian division? It's, and just for the online trolling that would happen from an online Canadian division all season would just be glorious. I'm just, I would look forward to it so much. Well, yeah, no, it'll be great seeing all the heated, uh, <laughs> the heated, how heated uh, things get on on Twitter, especially when the Canucks and Leafs are going to be playing each other so often. But no, I hadn't actually considered. I mean, I I I thought about the Canadian division, and I you know, I've been excited for that. But I hadn't considered what you said about you know, a lot of the teams being on a pretty similar level. I think Calgary, at least for next season, is going to be better with the additions of of Markstrom and and Tanev, and uh, you know, Oilers are are probably going to be a bit better. You know, they added Barry on the back end and. And you know the Leafs and the Canucks are, are decent. Like you mentioned, the Canucks might take a step back, so it'll be a it'll be a fight to to make the playoffs again next year. I think, you know, you're looking at Canucks going to be, you know, it's going to be Winnipeg and no, really, I'm trying to just think about the way the standings are going to shake out. It's really it's that any of those six teams can win that division. Yeah. No, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't peg Montreal there, but I mean, stranger things have happened. They've had a really good off season though. Like they've had, they've made they some have, good moves. They have. I just remember that they were like, they were like the last team to make that 2014 play. And, yeah. But uh, Montreal's a weird team. Like I can never tell if they're rebuilding or if they're trying to compete. Like they signed team. Josh Anderson for like eight years. The rebuild's over. Rebuild's over. Yeah. yeah. No. Exactly. Well, and then the the thing with the thing with Gallagher too, where it seemed like they weren't going to sign him, and then yeah, Gallagher to Vancouver rumors for about 12 hours. That was that was fun. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. And okay, let's let's be real. The Canucks are not winning the Stanley Cup next year. That's not happening. How sweet how sweet would it be for the Vancouver Canucks to be the team to beat the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round next year? Like for the Canucks to be the team that eliminates the Leafs in the first round, I, I could call that a good season right then and there. Like they could get swept the next round. I, I could not care less if they're a team to eliminate Toronto in the first round. That's a that's easy victory for the season. Oh yeah, I got. I can already think of a few people who I'd be messaging if that happened right away. So <laughs> that'd be yeah. hilarious. I hadn't even. I hadn't even considered about that either. The playoffs. Uh, the playoff implications. They could play a. Uh, a team from the east. Yeah. No. It's. Um, I'm excited for the for the division just for the uniqueness of it. I mean, we see the same formats, you know, all the time. And I mean, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's, it'll be interesting to have something fresh and something different and. Uh, I'm interested to see how it all shakes down. Yeah, the online banter from that Canadian division is going to be legendary. Bailey, thank you so much for joining the podcast, and uh, hopefully we can have you on again sometime. This was a lot of fun. Uh, you mean Trevor, right? Yes, you're Trevor. Yes, Trevor. Begsy. Begsy. <laughs> Trevor 2.0. Yes, Begsy. Yeah. Well, I'd like to have you on again. No, thanks for having me. It was uh enjoying talking to you, and uh, hopefully the Canucks are giving us something to talk about going forward. They're beating the Leafs in the first round. Book it now. All right, we'll remember this podcast if they do. All right, thank you to Bailey Meadows for hopping on the podcast. Much appreciated. Great conversation. And I want to end this podcast with a bit of the Canada Division talk. Now, that's been the big rumor ever since Bill Foley leaked it out on, I believe it was a radio show or maybe it was a podcast. Well, he leaked it out that it's very likely that there could be a Canadian Division next year the National Hockey League. The border could still be closed or they could be opening up the border, but you still have to do the 14-day quarantine, which obviously NHL does not want to do if they want to travel around all over the place. So it might be easier 
for a Canadian division to happen. It's a very real possibility, I think, at this point. Now, look, I don't think the Vancouver Canucks are winning the Stanley Cup next year. I think with everything that's happened in free agency, I just don't think the Vancouver Canucks, they're going to, like I said, like I've said in this podcast, they're going to take more likely a step back next year than a step forward. I think the only way they can maybe get to the level they were last year or even improve a bit is their their best players have to carry the load. Elias Patterson, Quinn Hughes, JT Miller, Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, they got to be absolute studs next year. And it's very possible that happens. I just, I look at the team and I don't see that much better depth. In fact, I think the depth has definitely gone down a bit. All those all those bottom six guys are a year older. They're not getting any better. But anyways, I want to talk about the Canada division. The Canucks aren't winning the Stanley Cup. But you know what I want the Vancouver Canucks to win? I want the Vancouver Canucks to win the Canadian Cup. The Canada Cup. What's that? The Canadian Canada Cup? Best team in Canada. Screw the Stanley Cup. We're not winning the Stanley Cup. I want the Vancouver Canucks to win the Canada Cup. Best team in Canada. Let's make it happen. Outside of Ottawa, I would say every single team in this Canadian division has a chance to win it. Canucks, Flames, Oilers, Habs, Jets, Leafs. All those teams are about at the same level, in my opinion. And all of them can win the division. The Vancouver Canucks have a legit shot to definitively be the best team in Canada next year. Forget the Stanley Cup. How much sweeter would it be to lord over Canadian hockey fans across this great country that the Vancouver Canucks are definitely, definitively the best team in Canada? And I'm just thinking of it now. The Vancouver Canucks being the team to beat the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. The Leaf, the, the Canucks beating the Leafs in the first round of the playoffs. Continuing that great tradition that we've seen over the years and let it having the Vancouver Canucks be that team. Honestly, that might that might be better than a Stanley Cup and Canada Cup put together. The Canucks being the team to put the Leafs out of their misery. Hook that shit to my veins. That's what I want. I want a Canada Cup, a regular season Canada Cup, best team in Canada, and the Canucks to beat the Leafs in the first round of the playoffs next year. Anything else is absolute gravy, including a Stanley Cup. Anyways, that's this week's episode of Power of the Towel for the next Misconduct Network. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Power of the Towel, myself at Nick Bondi. Once again, this is Power of the Towel for the next Misconduct Network. Thank you for listening.